Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are our God, that you are in control of all things, and that because of that, we can be comforted in your hands. Lord, as we start this series in Mark, let us understand and just feel that love for Jesus that, that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for baptisms, and I thank you for salvation, and I, I just thank you for everything that you provide for us. Lord, I pray for the people in this church, and that you would work inside of us, and that, that while you're working in us, we would be a, an example to those outside of these walls. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. So we're about to embark on a, a series through the book of Mark. And while I was going to school to be a pastor and I was in Omaha, I decided that I was going to go and check out a bunch of different churches. And finally, my wife and I, we went to this one church called Wildwood. And while we're there, the first sermon that we heard was the beginning of this series on the book of John. And I tell you, after that first sermon, I was sold and we'd found the church that I wanted to go, that I wanted to, to call our church in Omaha. And so when we found out that we were doing this book of Mark, I've been so excited to, to embark on this journey with you guys through the gospel. And last year, when I was doing my Bible reading, I read the Bible in a year, and as I was listening and I was reading the Old Testament, I had this goal that I was always going to look for Jesus. In all the texts, as we looked through the Old Testament, I was continually looking for Jesus. And when we finally got to the Gospels, I was so excited to see Jesus after I'd been looking for Him through this whole Old Testament. And so I hope that you, as we start to, to work through the book of Mark, you start to see how wonderful Jesus is. So let me give you a little bit of background. You see, there's some debate about which of the synoptic Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, was written first. And honestly, as I looked at it, there was arguments for all three. And really, I don't have the answer, and it's all speculation. But what is important, it was written between the late 40s and the late 60s A.D. That means that somewhere between 15 and 35 years after Christ, this book was written. And because of that, we know that there was people that were still alive, and they could have refuted this if it was not the truth. And there may be a lot of speculation about when it was written, but the church is very clear about who wrote it. The man's name was John Mark. He has been considered the author since the first century. A man by the name of Papyrus of Hierapolis, an early church father who was an acquaintance of the Apostle John, and he lived from 60 to 135 A.D., said this, Mark was an interpreter of Peter, and he carefully gave an account of everything he remembered from the preaching of Peter. You see, the background of this text is important, but it is the content that should speak to us. This book was written by a man who, was a, who abandoned Paul in Acts 13.13. 13. And then he was redeemed and used by Christ to dictate the words of Peter so men and women could be saved throughout eternity. And I love how Paul later finds him useful for ministry. 2 Timothy 
Why is this important? It's important because God can use you. You must never forget that. Never forget. Our God, He wants to use you. And as we go through this sermon, I want to break it down into four parts. Number one, what is the hypostatic union? Number two, who is the messenger? Number three, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And number four, why was Jesus baptized? Let's start with number one. What is the hypostatic union? Mark here, he's blending Christ's humanity and his divinity as he goes and delivers the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not the gospel of Mark but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. So this series could have been called From Mark. It could have been called From Peter. And ultimately, it could have been called From Jesus, which would have been a very long title. So we'll just call it From Mark. Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Mark. He uses this phrase something like seven times in his gospel. And he also calls him the Son of Man 14 times in his gospel. It is a common theme. It's called the hypostatic union for all you theological nerds. Upostatus is the Greek word. And upo means to, to under. It means under. And status means this, this standing. It comes from this idea that something stands under or is the the foundational aspect. It is the essential part of who Jesus is. His complete identity. Fully God and fully human is the foundation of the Gospel. Whether we understand it fully or not is irrelevant. So if someone says that that Jesus is not fully God and or not fully human, then they are not fully saved. Why must Jesus be fully human? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I like this in the NLT version. Listen to this closely. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Listening to that text, we can all agree that only humans can die. And on top of that, we know that God designed death as the penalty for sin. So let's move on. Verse 17 and 18. Therefore, He had been made to like His brother in every aspect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus. He had to be man so that He could identify with us, suffering in our place and sympathizing with us in our weakness. So we know that He had to be fully man. So why did He have to be fully God? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Only somebody who knows eternal life can give eternal life. 
God is an infinite God and redemption required an infinite solution. By his divinity, he bore the weight of God's anger towards sin in humanity and he earned for us what we could never earn ourselves. Restoring righteousness and life. All of this is just the first verse in the Gospel of Mark. But the Gospel did not start here with Christ coming to earth. The solution has always been Jesus. Jesus was not just some new revelation. He was the fulfillment of all revelation. The Messiah would come from Abraham, Genesis 12.3. He would be the descendant of Isaac, Genesis 17.19. He would be the descendant of Jacob, Numbers 24.17. He would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. He would be an heir to King David's throne, 2 Samuel 7.12-13. He would be called Emmanuel, Isaiah 7.14. He would spend time in Egypt. Hosea 11.1. He would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. And a bunch of children would be massacred in his birthplace. Jeremiah 31.15. And these are just a few leading up to his birth. And the next part is Mark's talking about this messenger. So number two, who is the messenger? Mark 1.2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Our faith. Our faith is the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, he wrote about this 800 years before Jesus. Isaiah 40, verse 3. And he's not the only one who talks about this messenger. Moses does it way back in Exodus 23.20. And then Malachi in 3.1 talks about this messenger and he says that it will be Elijah in 4.5. Guys, if, if Jesus was merely human, he could not have controlled all these prophecies being true. Except maybe John the Baptist. But what motive would John have had? I imagine Jesus coming to him. Hey, John. Do you want to make up a story where you wear itchy camel clothing, where you eat locust and honey and act like you are Elijah, so I can get all the glory and you can get your head chopped off by Herod? And that sounds crazy. I mean, what would it take? I know my cousins. What would it take for you to believe that your cousin was the Son of God, the Lamb of God? Guys, it would take perfection, and then the Holy Spirit would have to do a major work in my heart. And that's what happens. When we are trying to figure out whether something is a lie or something is truth, we must always look at the motive someone has for lying. I don't care if it's your kids or the police or even the Bible. So John the Baptist, basically Elijah 2.0, he is preparing the way for Jesus. Mark 1.3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You want a sign? Here's your sign. He might as well be holding up a sign at the Super Bowl last week. So many people are getting a sign at this moment. Their path is being laid out like a runway at the Denver airport. It is by this messenger prophesied so many years early. Earlier. And John, this John the Baptist, must have been a pretty good preacher. 
He's gaining fame. He's trending on Twitter. And all this, he's calling for repentance. He's a fire and brimstone speaker if we've ever seen one. Mark 1.4 John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Then verse 5, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to Him and were being baptized by Him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Guys, I'm a literalist. I can't even say that word, but I am that. When the Bible says all, it means all. I mean, there must have been some serious crowds watching John the Baptist, waiting to be baptized. And he's not some seeker-friendly pastor setting up shop in the Bible Belt in some large city. I mean, no offense to these megachurch pastors, but if you can speak just a little bit in the southern part of this country, then people will come. But John, John is doing it in the wilderness. And he's basically saying, you are wretched, black-hearted sinners. Repent. Not exactly the message we hear in this world right now. I don't know about you, but I want to hear I'm a Skittle and I taste like the rainbow. But John is basically saying, you smell like dung. And they're responding. And all, all of Jerusalem is coming out. And not just Jerusalem, but Judea as well. I don't know if you guys know what the Jordan River is like. We often think that it must be amazing, but it is a small and dirty river. Nobody is going there just to hang out. On top of that, it's around 20 miles from Jerusalem. So if you walked at 3 miles per hour, it would take you almost 20 hours to get to go see this John the Baptist. And people were doing it. He could have been famous. What was his motive to pass this fame onto Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm not doing that. None of us are doing it. The only motive that I see is because it's the truth. And it's what God has called him to do. It's the purpose that he had. He is the messenger prophesied in the Old Testament. That's the only thing that makes sense. Now his baptism was pretty cool, but Jesus is greater. So number three, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let's go back to verse four. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I'm not sure you realize this, but this was not normal. Being baptized was not new, but it was not meant for repentance. In first century Judaism, baptism had a different meaning. In the book of Leviticus, God instructs Jews to cleanse themselves from ritual impurities contracted through touching a corpse or or maybe a leper. And washing primarily fulfilled the legal requirements of ritual purity so that Jews could sacrifice at the temple. It was the sacrifice that was for redemption, for repentance. Number two, it was also used by Gentiles to express their desire to convert to Judaism along with circumcision. My guess is there was not a lot of dudes converting to Judaism half-heartedly. Sometimes I wish we had something so radical to convert to Christianity, but in reality we do. God demands immersion. He demands everything in our life. And John, his baptism was temporary. It was a symbol of what Christ was going to do permanently. It only cleansed you of the sins that you had already committed. It did not clean you forever. 
And if it was not coupled with faith, it was just a really dirty bath. And at this time, it was the religious thing to do. All the leaders and the religious zealots, all the people were going out to follow along with this trend. People were lining up to be baptized because it was the hip thing to do. It was hip to go get dunked by this guy who looked like Elijah. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. It doesn't get much clearer than that. We see in 2 Kings 1.8, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now we tend to think that Elijah ate locust also, but I did not see it in the Bible. I spent time looking for it. So if you see it, please send it to me. But that does not mean that this is not important. You see, locusts were one of the only kosher insects, and they would have been abundant in the wilderness. God took care of Elijah, and he was taking care of John the Baptist. But there was a major difference. Elijah was talking about this drought, and John the Baptist was talking about this abundant, this living water in Jesus. And all the people around him, they knew the text, they were looking for this Messiah. But were they willing to look past themselves to something greater? Jesus. They think something that they can do can save them. Often they would think that this water baptism saves you. We do the same. The other day I read an article about a Catholic preacher. Or a Catholic priest. And this guy, he resigned. Because he had been doing baptisms his entire career wrong. They told him that none of the people that he had baptized were actually saved. Because he messed up on one word. Instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he said, we baptize you. We baptize you. One little word, and now they're saying that none of these people were saved. Well, newsflash, that didn't save them in the first place. Guys, I would argue that the way he was doing it is way more biblical. I do not save or, or I do not baptize anybody. Pastor Bill does not baptize anybody. You are baptized by Christ. This immersion in the Holy Spirit. He just lets me be a part of it. I love how God works. Right, These people that may have been sprinkled when they were a little baby, they may have had a baby dedication. Now they're having an opportunity to declare to the world that they have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I know not all of them, but amen. It's not how I say it. It's about the devotion of the heart of the person that wants to be immersed in Jesus Christ. And declaring it with water baptism, this inward thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in you as you declare it to the world. John's baptism was not a permanent baptism. It was like everything else besides Christ. A temporary solution for a permanent problem. How do I know this? Mark 1, 7 and 8. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If John's baptism was sufficient, he would have not claimed something greater. 
The bottom line is that the entire Old Testament is looking towards something greater. A Messiah, the One. And John right now, he's pulling in numbers that every pastor would love. And yet, he's directing everything towards this straight path. He's directing them to Jesus. He is just the messenger. Jesus is the Messiah. And we should do the same. This text also tells us why baptism was not for salvation. It was only a temporary repentance. I mean, we can repent all we want, but if it's not accompanied with an immersion in Jesus Christ, it is only temporary. So what does baptize mean? The word baptizo is, is what it is in the Greek. And there's ancient secular writings that have been found which use the word to describe this process of making pickles. Basically, they would take the cucumbers and they would baptizo in it in the vinegar sauce and they would come out a different product. We believe everything happens at once. Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We do not work for salvation. We work as a devotion, demonstration, and declaration of the one who has saved us. Many, especially in the Pentecostal movement, try to say that there are three progressive steps in the life of a believer. They think that step one is this justification of sin. And then there's this second blessing where the believer no longer practices sin. And then third is this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is evident by the speaking of tongues. They get this from Acts 19, 1-6. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what have you been baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the One who has come after Him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on him after the Holy Spirit came on him, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. As you read this, here's the reality. These men were never saved. You see, they had put their faith in, in John's baptism. They had not put their faith in Jesus they may have been clean for three minutes, especially if they were me, but the next sin would have separated them from God. Which is why number two is crazy also. The more I feel like I know about Jesus, the more I know about sin, the more I know that I am a sinner. Everything comes at once. We give our life to Christ. We are baptized in the Spirit. And at that moment, you are immersed and then there should be water baptism. This declaration, which is a symbol of dying to oneself, being raised new in Christ. You are now a pickle instead of a cucumber. <laughs> they just happen to start speaking in tongues. Guys, it's not an every time occurrence. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Now I love this story. They're in prison. They're singing hymns. They're declaring Christ in His glory. I mean, I just picture that and just am so in awe of Paul and Silas at this moment. And then all of a sudden this earthquake comes. All the doors open up. They could have left, but every single one of them stay. Not just Paul and Silas and the guard. He's about to take his own life. And Paul says, hey, we're all here. And at that moment, he is transformed 
And he gives his life to Christ and he is baptized. But it says nothing about speaking in tongues. Don't you think if that was essential, they would have said something here? I do. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. We cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. And we cannot live a life devoted to Christ without the Holy Spirit. But my Holy Spirit speaks to me in English. Now do not get me wrong. If one day the Spirit wanted to take over while I was speaking to Belize and they were starting to hear me in Creole or Spanish or their local native Garfuna, I would definitely be willing to let Him speak through me. Guys, I believe it is possible. But it is not the only sign of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. But don't get me wrong. Even though I do not think that water baptism is necessary for salvation, I worry about you if you do not want to be water baptized. It is a natural reaction to the inward working of the Holy Spirit inside every one of us that has been baptized into the Holy Spirit. We see it in Scripture over and over again. Matthew 28, 19. Make disciples, then baptize them. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8.35-38, the eunuch gives his life to Christ and then gets baptized. What about Paul? Acts 9.17-18. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regains his sight and then he rose and was baptized. Paul, he gives his life to Jesus. He was blind, but now he sees. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and then he is baptized. Not only that, Acts 10, 44 through 48. Peter goes to the Gentile Cornelius and his family and while he is speaking... While he is speaking, they believe. The Holy Spirit fills them and then they are baptized. He spoke in tongues even before the water. Even before they were baptized by water. Guys, as I looked at the text, as I looked through the Old Testament, do you know how many times I read about people being baptized with water and then believing? Zero. Not one time. And you may be saying, what about 1 Peter 3.21? What about it? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This right here is a symbol of being saved by a greater baptism brought on by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the surrender to Him. This is not about removing dirt from our outer self or removing sin from our inner self through the only one, Jesus Christ, who has the power to do so. Guys, and if this doesn't sway you, Jesus was baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? Number four. Mark 1.9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why did Jesus walk 80 miles to get baptized in the Jordan River, which looks like a creek compared to our Platte River. You see, if I am Jesus, 
I am getting baptized in the Sea of Galilee. This beautiful sea. It's near my family so they can attend. It's near my ministry so everybody can see my devotion to Christ. And if not that, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty much perfect because I'm Jesus. So I really have no reason to repent. Therefore, I have no reason to be baptized. I mean, that makes more sense to me. I've always asked this question. Why was Jesus baptized? I mean, even John did not want to baptize Him. But read this in Matthew 3.15. Jesus answered Him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So Jesus had to be baptized to fulfill His righteousness? No. It was fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness means being in right standing with God. And how are you in right standing with God? Only perfection. Righteousness is not a really, really good person. It's not about doing everything right really, really well. Okay? It's about perfection. Listen to me here. If you have given your life to Christ, you are perfect. Now, not in my eyes. You are still black-hearted, wretched sinners, and me too. But Christ, His righteous life, His perfect life, coupled with being fully God, paired with Him paying the price for all your sin, declared you who have immersed your life in Christ as righteous in the eyes of God. He sees you fulfilled in Jesus' work in life and on the cross. So why did He have to be baptized? See, because even though He did not need to, His life from the beginning is about the perfect substitute. He was being baptized because we should be baptized. He is living the life that we should live so He could die the life that we should have died. He is the perfect substitute for our sin so that we can be declared righteous in the eyes of our Father. Not only that, how important is it that our Father is pleased with us? When we are going out into the desert, into the wilderness, and we're going to be tempted, how important is it to know that our Father is with us and that He is pleased with us? You see, He did not promise us that we'd be free from temptation. He promised that we would be His in the temptation. Verse 10 and 11. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You, I am well pleased. Water baptism does not save you. But it does please your Father in heaven. I mean, why would we not want to please Him? When we love someone, we have this desire to please them. Do you have that desire? Not only that, I love how God works in all things. When you look at the Gospel of John, Jesus' disciple, we see this certain disciple of John the Baptist by the name of Andrew. Our God is orchestrating everything right now. John 1, 40-42. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Petros, Peter, the rock. Andrew, he saw Christ and he watched Him proclaim righteousness for all and he heard God speak that He was pleased with Him and he had no choice but to proclaim it to anyone that would listen, but especially his brother, Rocky himself, who would be the leader of a movement that we have immersed ourselves generations later. But only if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like in our life? Number one, repent and be immersed in Christ. It is Christ who is the better baptism. He is the important part. Give everything to Jesus. And when you do, get baptized. Please, if you're not, get baptized. If you want to get baptized, we will do it right now. We will walk up there and we will add a fourth. Declare to everyone whose you are. Not only be immersed in the Holy Spirit, but do it with water baptism to declare to everyone whose you are going to serve. And that is Jesus Christ this day. And when you are baptized, be bold. Be bold as an example of who Christ is. Tell the world. That's why these people are getting baptized today. Every one of them is declaring whose they are, who they're going to serve. And like John the Baptist, they are merely the messenger. They are not the Messiah. But they are selfless. And they have died to self. And they are to raise a new life in Jesus Christ. The one who is more powerful than any of us. Whose sandals none of us are worthy to untie. But yet He still saved you and He still saved me. And He made us righteous. Perfect in the eyes of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank You. I thank You for Your Son who lived a perfect life, who was fully human and fully God, the only person in the history that could be a sufficient sacrifice for every sin that I've committed and that we've committed and this entire world has committed. And Lord, I pray that we would repent and that we would turn towards you and that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit and we would dedicate our life to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that we would be messengers for the rest of this life and all into eternity about what you have done in us. Let us be bold. Let us declare you and not ourselves. Let us remember it always. But most importantly, let us always give glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.